Hello and welcome to the latest Back of the Nav podcast, episode seven, would you believe? I'm Adam Lewis and sitting beside me in the virtual sense is my co-manager, Julian Marr. On today's episode, we're also delighted to be joined by Andy Evans, who is a member of the Schroeder's Value Team and co-manager of the Schroeder Income Fund. Andy, quick welcome. Thanks for coming on. Well, thanks very much for having me. I'm looking forward to this. <laughs> Excellent stuff. Excellent stuff. As a quick um, structure to today's episode, we're going to have a quick rundown on what happened last week, then get into a Q&A with Andy before trying to settle on some plans going into game week eight. However, before that, Jules, any word from our sponsor this week? Well, it's been tough getting a word from the sponsor. He's not happy about life at the moment. I think it's tough being an ESG, as committed to ESG as the chairman of the Committed Assets Management is. But he's, he found a bit of inspiration listening to our podcast last week, actually, um, because, uh, you know, he knows that we're having a tough old time. And somehow he drew a parallel with that and um, uh, ESG, because if you look, you know, the outflows are going against it. Performance isn't grace for obviously any number of reasons. Even even the UK government seems to turn against it. It's it, you can't, you know, the culture wars are raging in the in the states um it is a and regulator well they're just getting involved we can't agree on how to do it so um he he, he drew he drew some solace from um, not one word but two words which we brought up last week um so i looked it up to get it absolutely right and it, it's, it's what we might call melchitz law uh which is of course a black adder um goes forth uh, if nothing else works a total pig-headed unwillingness to look facts in the face will see us through so um that is the uh, the chairman of uh, committee asset management's a word for the day um and i think probably not a bad uh, um, little motto for a bot nav going forward the way things are going for us that could be a little slogan under the badge like audio west for Kerr for Tottenham <laughs> and stuff like that, that yeah, could we be might a have to pay badge, royalties, like yeah we might have to um so let's have a look at performance for the back of the nav in game week seven a week which finally saw us take no hits to performance with just the one change of martinelli to bruno who we then gave the armband to we might as well have just taken a hit in hindsight for all the good that did us. Um, good for Andy, though, because he does support Crystal Palace. So that was uh, it benefited Palace. Um, looking at the numbers, a 51 point haul this week, beating the average of the league of 49 and leading to some green arrows as a result for back of the Nev. And we've now hit the lofty heights of a global rank of 7.4 million out of 10 million. We are climbing. Um, it's the third quartile, doesn't it? That, that I just think we might be. We are fighting back. It starts here. Yes. The performance is coming in. So if we do some an attribution analysis, the biggest contributor to performance in the game week was my pick. Yes, my pick, Morris. Um, it started well. It could have been better, but uh, that loss last night to Burnley, just a one-pointer. But 10 points for Morris this week. We got... Eight points from Alvarez, seven from Son and Newcastle Shah, and six from Arsenal Saliba. However, with Haaland blanking, who most of our peers will have captained, it does feel like a missed chance to have clawed ourselves up the table a little bit more. So if we go down a detractor line, bringing in and captaining Bruno would seem to have been the biggest attractive to performance. We've also got another poor show from Pickford, which puts him still very much in the firing line going forward, while Embuemo could still be on our sell list. So, Jules, run us through your thoughts on last week and how we got on versus the benchmark. 
Well, I don't know. Adam, you, have you got yourself a fund manager's dictionary? What's happening with this attribution analysis and detractors? It, it, you know, it sounds like we know what we're doing now. Um, and I like your, uh, your, you know, the fact that we've got a bit of collective responsibility with Morris being your pick. The one time you know, your pick does really well and it's suddenly it's yours, is it? All the rest are mine. I see how it goes. <laughs> anyway, um, what have we got? Yes, Rads are on most of it. But uh, you look back at the team. Yes, Pickford won. Um, Chilwell went out. But um, we got Saliba on six, Shah on seven. Kabore, um, the old Luton double up. That we went for was those three Sala on one. I may come back to that as the as things progress. Uh, Son on seven, Fernandez captain four, Diaz two, uh, and Buemo two, Alvarez eight, Morris ten. Uh, maybe we did joke about captaining Morris. Maybe we should actually take our jokes more seriously. Um, 51 points and trying not to think too hard, but I think this is where. Uh, um, I'll go back to I, I, my own team actually in a little bit of how this impinges on, on Botnav on the, the Friday night and clear decision making and we'll, we'll we'll get to talk to Andy about this I'm very glad uh, here both on the behavioural finance point of view and on the uh, um, clear decision making uh, I, I, I was just greeted by a sea of yellow flags on the Friday night and maybe at five past midnight it's not the time to do it but I thought I'd catch some price rises and beat some falls and um, brought Salah in early for Saka took out Saliba uh, for Zuma that wasn't too bad of course Saka played Saliba played and actually Salah would have been fine for me and it would have been fine for Botnab and it would have been even better for Botnab um, because of course he passed to Diaz and Diaz put the ball on the back of the net and then decided that wasn't right and I think those are the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune that we must find ways to deal with and why we have our behavioural finance specialists on on later so I'll, I'll talk to you about that because I really can go on for about that let, um, for a very very long time and ten, let's look at our benchmark team this is sort of the madness of crowds and not in a good way and we try and as ever I, I try and build a team out of the most um, bought uh, players um, never quite works because um, now because Salah's up there. But this is a team you could buy. Almost everyone's bought um, in goal. We still have uh, for the last week game week we had Ariola. He's on uh, almost thirty one percent. He got six points. Anana uh, heading in the other direction, but still just about ahead of Edison as the second most popular goalkeeper. He was on the bench. Um, Stupanan, the most uh, most bought. Uh, uh, um, defender is, is almost still two thirds of people, but whether after his minus two, 45 minutes that goes into next week, we'll see. He's already dropping. Chilwell got nothing. Uh, Trips um, now uh, departing, waving Mary to us. We were never able to buy him. Um, and uh, But he's, he got 12 points. And then we have Lamptey and Bell on the bench. And then of our midfield of Saka, Matema, Rashford, and Madison. And Buemo, um, most of those, all when Buemo are over our other 30% ownership, Sack is on 65 and with his nine points probably is still too here long. Although he's got some tough games coming up, so people have been selling out of him. And um, they would have this, un- and because he's injured, was he, I think, last night as well, as we record. Uh, and then up front, Haaland on just the 92.4%. Um, we captained him for four pence, or the benchmark did. Alvarez on eight, and with the make weight of Obama. So um, actually, the benchmark team did even worse, which shows that the majority don't always know what they're doing um sometimes they put, they put us in our place on botnab this uh, each week but not this week they scored just 42 so yeah good news for botnab a minus bar it could have been even better uh but that's where we are and uh, looking ahead as ever towards next week what could you know could get better well 
let's get you don't look convinced dad and that did actually no i think i mean look at this but i don't what we can also get further down the line i was thinking i mean because it's all about having communication and you know talking and having difficult conversations with with your with one's shareholders or one's unit holders maybe we should get on a find find manager who's permanently fourth quartile and find out how he gives the bad news month after month on the so that's just another potential guest further down the line if any prs are listening and they're feeling well, maybe if they want to lose that as a client, they could bring them in and get in touch with us. I'm just sitting here nervously just after, you know, we're recording just after Klopp's had his rant about the game being replayed. So, uh, you know, our points might change anyway. Um, so anyway, let's introduce this week's guest. Andy Evans joined Schroders in 2015 as a member of the company's value team. And as mentioned earlier, he co-manages the Schroder Income Fund with Kevin Murphy. He's also a regular contributor to the long-running blog on all things value, the value perspective, and its associated podcast on which he's hosted guests as varied as GMOs, James Montier, and fantasy football scouts as Phillips. Um, before joining Schroders, Andy was a sell-side analyst for 11 years at Threadneedle and drives the Clems, Clemwatt, can't even say it. Andy, I'm going to kick off with an easy one. Um, do you play FPL? Um, if so, how are you doing? Um, or if you stopped, why did you stop? Yeah, so I um, I, I have played it, uh, played it off and on. Most recently, I played it last year and I, I I did okay, so I was, I was kind of solidly mid-table, maybe pushing on towards the European places. So, so things were okay. But if I'm being really honest, and I'm not sure most of your guests would say this, I, I just don't think I'm very good at fantasy football. I, I have to be honest about it, and I hold my hands up, and I think my ego's uh, such that I, I can take it. Um, but there is a bit of evidence to back that up. And so, as well as doing fantasy football on and off the official league, there's also another league which I have with my friends, and it's. 10 people, and it's effectively a draft system, all based on the FPL, official point scoring. But you're only allowed to have the player once. So once you've picked in the draft, that's it, that they're gone. Um, and that means when you trade, you can only trade the available players. And so there's an added level of complexity in it. And uh, I played, and for the first four seasons, in two of those seasons, I finished bottom. And from that point on, I was kind of like, well, you, you're probably not cut out for this. You, you probably need to put a bit more effort in. And... Whilst my ego can take the fact that I might not be very good at it, I probably still want to offer some excuses. And my best excuse is that when this league started, it was around 2010, 2011. And that was perfectly timed with my first child coming along. And because I'm a little bit ahead of the game versus my uh, versus my peers, um, I was obviously a little bit busier at that point in time. And I actually made the vow if I want to engage with my child, I'm going to get rid of the Sky Sports subscription. So my access to watching football had gone down the drain. I said, I'm just going to focus on Crystal Palace. I'm not going to watch any of the other games. They're the only games I'm going to watch. Um, and as a result, my, my ability to see anything football or to read any football went, went down the drain. We can come on to touch on it a bit, bit later on, but there was a couple of reasons where that then transferred into me being pretty horrible at it and me ending up uh, being bottom a couple of couple of times um, in the first four seasons. What, what's consequently happened, and I think it's kind of interesting, is that uh, as people have started to have children, they start to finish bottom. And so we now have this thing in our league called the curse of the child, which we'll, we'll say never to our kids and never to our wives, but definitely we'll say it amongst ourselves, that as soon as a child comes along, that means you're going to be finishing last the, the next season. And that, that's proven to be um, quite, quite a, a good predictor of how badly people are going to be doing. 
if, if I was going to put a really, really generous spin on it, I would say uh, I gave up being a great fantasy football manager so I could be a great fan manager and a great father. But um, I, I know you're too smart to, to buy anything like that. <laughs> I th- well, I'm I willing to go with that. I certainly, I, we should say in advance that if, if uh, not being good at fantasy league was a bar to being on this podcast, you would just be listening to static now, or everyone else would be listening to static. So that there's no no worries on that front. I, I actually, you know, uh, when when my first kid was born, um, I actually had one of my best seasons. And I, I, what I think it was was I found out the match of the day was on first thing on a Sunday morning, and uh, I'm pretty confident Cherry's never going to listen to this. I got a lot of brownie points from volunteering to do the early the early shift on the Sunday and I'd sit there with uh, feeding Hannah um, her, her milky or her porridge while watching the full shift of, of, of match today probably for the for the first time ever so actually that season the, the 2009 season I think it was uh, the 809 season was actually one of my best ever and I wonder if that was it but yes I agree as things moved on um, it got worse worse and there's, I've definitely got stories about how, how my beloved children have uh, detracted from my score as well but uh, this that probably that's probably a different a, a different episode we could go into there um yeah so i'm gonna i've got a question now because uh so and you, you're part of the team behind the value perspective uh podcast which takes as its theme decision making and conditions of uncertainty um given bot nabs and indeed my own suboptimal showing uh recently what tips would you offer to improve adam and my decision making process yeah there's a there's a few things i think we could take and and you know they're obviously not all related to fantasy football but um yeah, I don't think, given my introduction, you don't want exactly my advice on uh, on, on fantasy football directly. But what well, one thing which comes up again, and again, and again is just how bad humans are at dealing with probabilities. You know, everything in life has an element of skill and luck and you know noise and signal, but but we're very very bad at cutting through that. And we love to attach stories to things. So as soon as we seek out a pattern, you know, that that's suddenly a story which will weave into some reason as to why you want to be doing something. And so there's probably two things you, you could do around that. What one is to say, let's really understand what the possible outcomes are. So if you were to look at any player, there's a certain amount of scores that you should expect, and there's a range within it. So, you know, some you're gonna have very lumpy returns. If you looked at any player, they're gonna have minus one, one, one week if they're a defender, they're gonna have plus 10 the next and understanding that volatility and the range of outcomes i think is quite helpful because you'll make you'll stop you from making bad decisions and very short-term decisions i think but also connected to that is the really good way to cut through all the noise is to have a very very strong process and i know you've kind of set out your stall and you said we're sending out our process and you, you've got your your plans for how to do it but but having a process means you've got something to stick to. And I think that's the really helpful thing to cut through that that noise because it means that you're not constantly being blown by the wind. You've got something to fall back on whenever something's going against you. Um, so I, I think that combination of making sure that you understand the uh, the probabilities that you're facing and, and then secondly, having a process which means that you can cut out the noise, I, I think that's a really helpful um, thing. That there's another couple of things which have come up um, a couple of times, which I think have been very, very strong. So Annie Duke is absolutely fantastic with these. We've been fortunate to have on our podcast a a couple of times. Uh, She's an ex-poker player. Um, She's been at the coalface with kind of noise and and signals and, and trying to work through it. But some of the things that she recommends, and I think you've already had this piece of advice, is to write down your decision making and to go back and, and revisit it to make sure that you're, you're kind of learning from those mistakes. 
But she she also in one of our um, Q and A's with her added something different, which I think is um, actually quite interesting. And that's not only marking down the things that you have done, but also the near misses. And so let, let's say, for example, if you were choosing between Pickford and Sam Johnson in, in goal and you chose one of them, you, you may also want to make notes of that one, which was the near miss. So then you have that good idea of um, the opportunity cost that that you went from uh, to, to get to your, your final pick. And then when you're analyzing your decisions, you're also thinking about, well, what the what if decisions that you kind of just missed out on. So I, I think there's been lots that we, we could kind of talk about in from the podcast but i think they're they're the big ones um which keep coming up time and time again yes i think the process is something i've been thinking about quite hard and and oddly enough i mean there's two aspects of process i mean there are the rules we set which is don't buy anything and over 30 percent and maybe now looking back funnily enough it had been if it had been 30 or if we'd said a third uh and sell it a half then maybe that would be that that would that would have so that, that that's been a sort of a, a binder on us on our on our ability to, to do stuff and is that the process or maybe our process should be more the way we talk to each other on a Friday afternoon? Um, maybe, maybe we need to think about that harder because it is it is definitely strange doing this two heads better than one. I think that's the one bit I've found hardest because it's um, I, I was playing the sort of the only connect game with my daughter the other night. And while I was trying to focus in on one set of four, if you know the, the grid of four and you're trying to solve who the four sets of four connections are, and she was doing other. And it was like, no, I'm focusing on this bit and you're other. And I think maybe Ad and I have occasionally, um, you know, been fake focusing on two different things. And so I was thinking, right, we need to keep Watkins, we keep, we keep Watkins. And then, but then we sort of get sidetracked and suddenly Watkins hasn't gone. And it's I, 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 seriously, Ad, I don't want to, this is not our breakup song. I'm not, so this, this is no criticism. It's just been trying to think and maybe this. This is also the full and frank back and forth about how we do it. And Andy could be our safe place or our it, referee. Well, it's interesting because every one of our funds on our team is co-managed and it's done by design. And mm-hmm. the, one of the things which is really good for co-management is that you don't, you can't just go and make you know, discretionary and, and wild things without getting the, the sign off from the other, the other manager. And so if anything, it, it holds your, uh, your feet to the flame to, to some degree. And so I, I think there's a real benefit of it, but um making sure you've got the terms of how you're going to discuss things is probably the most important thing. But yeah, I'm, I'm not the marriage counselor here, so I, I won't offer too much advice there. I think the, um, actually, to sort of, maybe to, this is, I, I know podcasters have a habit of plugging other podcasters, but I was listening to the Value Perspectives um, pod, and uh, Andy, with, with with James Montier, the uh, the, the guru of, of GMO, and it was like some strange um almost like a, 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 a wedding DJ or now that's what I call value's greatest hits because he kept mentioning all these great lines and ideas in the space of about 50 minutes. There were all these different things. And one of the ones he, he I, actually I hadn't really thought about before was how um, GMO, they, they're quite wary about meetings because so many meetings are just everyone who's saying what they agree with and no one ever dares disagree because, you know, there's a convention of politeness that you don't disagree. So actually, and I've been thinking about to, to, to work now, one of those meetings you see in and it's supposed to be this channeling of ideas and actually as soon as you go off piste um you you get you get shut down because disagreeing isn't really seen as the way forward so maybe yeah we should just be uh, fuller and franker with each other as well see how long this podcast lasts eh? agree um, agree <laughs> Um, okay, well, we're going to stick with this. Again. We're going to shift a little bit from. I mean, there's they're similar sorts of things, but I mean, you I, you heard about my uh, uh, behavioural uh, problems of uh, of Friday night as I'm looking there and going. I know I should do nothing. Sometimes the best thing is to do nothing. I should stick. I should just see what happens with Saka. 
and I blew, I got a minus four, I got uh, my opportunity cost, I think was at least minus eight, um, thanks to VAR, obviously, did I mention that? And um, so that I, I, oddly enough, with a lot of the behavioral finance, I, I do love it. And it's almost like now in my head, I've got it going, Schroeder's wouldn't do this. The Schroeder's Valley Boys wouldn't do this. And yeah, I'm still doing it. So maybe that's that's a weird situation. So with that in mind, my next question is, you know, you and your team, very keen students of behavioral finance. Um, so what sort of biases should we be particularly looking out for, do you think, uh, to counteract um, what we think and how we act about FPL? Fantasy. Yeah, there's obviously a whole long list of, yes. of different decision biases. You know, but I, I think there's a few which really jump out for me. And and I reckon I'll start with the two which I think I fe- fell foul of when I was doing fantasy football. And the first was overconfidence um, in that, you know, everyone likes to think they're good at something. And I think I know something about football. I, I, most most people do think they know something about football. But um, I couldn't overcome the fact that I wasn't watching any football. I didn't have any time to crunch any data. And yet I still thought I was going to be good enough to, to win that league. <laughs> And so you know, that, that that in some ways is is kind of crazy. Um, and even though all my knowledge was based on like Shearer and Giggs or a, a, a you know, premiership 10 years before, I, I still thought I was going to go and win that that league. And and it's a pitfall that we fall into in, in asset management as well. You know, overconfidence can cause you to make pretty poor decisions. Um, but I, I think I think you have to be honest to to know whether you're playing the, the game and you're it's in a game that you can win. If you're not doing the work, you're not going to be able to win that game. So I think uh, overconfidence would be my first thing that I felt for. And then, then the second thing, and it actually probably ties in with something you said before, Julian, um, and that that's availability bias. So once I w- didn't have a, Sky, a Sky Sports subscription, I wasn't watching every game. I was then relying on match of the day and, and probably you know, watching it pretty quickly. Um, and then all of a sudden, your availability of what you're watching is you're just looking at big players and people talking about uh, the pundits commenting on Haaland or commenting on, well, Watkins could score quite a few goals this season. You, you weren't really getting the sense of where the value might be in the in the market overall. And um, that, that means that I think we're really, really drawn to available information. Um, and so if you're not doing the work, which I wasn't doing, and you're relying on something which is very, very high level, the availability of information means you're not going to be going and finding the, the, the best gems which are out there. I mean, I, I didn't know half the players who were playing in the league. What was the chance of me going and finding that gem if I didn't know half the players? It, it just wasn't going to work. So that, that, that dreaded combination of overconfidence and availability bias uh, was probably what, what did for me. Um, but I, I think there are other ones outside that. I think the biggest one would be falling for narratives. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and football is a game of any sport is it's a game of narratives. It's, it's the reason we all fall in love with it. We love the heroes. We love the villains. We love the team, which is doing well. We love the team, which is doing badly and all the stories around it. But, but it does mean that you're kind of won over by those narratives and you might not see the, the underlying reality for, for what it is. And a very good example of this is everyone's uh, favorite Polish footballer in the premiership, Matty Cash. Um, so Matty Cash in three tweets, you can see how the narrative can shift. And this is all from the official FPL um, twi- Twitter handle. They started the season by pointing out that lots of people had chosen Matty Cash, but he started the season with minus one because they lost quite heavily to Newcastle in the first week. So already a bit of negative in, in the storytelling. Then three weeks later, he goes and scores two goals against Burnley. And the FPL's tweet at that point in time was, well done to the six managers 
who a triple captain Batty Cash that week. I don't, I don't, I mean, that's a different thing. We need to talk about those six managers because that's absolutely crazy. But again, like the narrative then shifted to something absolutely wonderful in, in the space of three weeks. And and the most recent tweet on him is about how he's the the player with the largest increase in value um, over the, the season to date. And so if you were to be won over by those narratives, you, you'll just be pushed and pulled in every single direction. And so it comes back to that process thing making sure that you have that very firm process so that all these no- all this noise, all these narratives which are building around players and around teams can, can be cut through in a, a very smart and efficient way. That's very unusual. Actually, I'm just picking up there because I'm never going to have the chance to make this joke again. That's the first time I've ever had a value manager talking about the relative attractions of cash. But there we are. But um, that's what you tune in for, folks. Uh, <laughs> sorry, Andy, I may have interrupted you. No, not at all. It was well worth interrupting. Always, <laughs> always enjoy your puns. And um, don't patronise me, Evans. No, no, no. I, I, I've always enjoyed your puns. And and if anything, I was slightly disappointed there wasn't. I, I have. I do enjoy back of the net asset value, but um, I, I, I'm sure you've got other puns in you. Was what were the other names which were potentially? Well, we, we were going to go for momentum, but I felt I felt sort of very disloyal towards value with that one for a start. <laughs> uh, but yes, we we had about yeah, I, there, there were a lot, and they got worse as the night went on. So uh, I thought back of the net. Well, I think we both agreed back of the net as the value was very. Um, uh, but we, we were annoyed because we just we we definitely talked about getting cash in in, the, in our first uh, first team purely for the allocation puns, um, and then we blew it with the bottom out being so close to the bottom out. So maybe we should just be going for these random in the same way that why well, you know I pick a horse. You know, if it, if it is, look at the name. If it put in bed after it, and if it sounds like a funny name, then uh, you put you you pick the horse. Uh, there you go, the in bed syndicate on live on this podcast. That's a, you heard it here, folks. There, there think, is um. Oh, sorry. Go on, Adam. No, no just, 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 just to pick up on one point, I think it's interesting that you talk about overconfidence because I think some of my biggest mistakes and maybe like in the management of this one sometimes come down to underconfidence in terms of, you know, looking at fixtures um, and being underconfident in, in, in a player's ability to do well in that game. Um, so, you know, I, I don't think anyone would have had the overconfidence to predict that Newcastle were going to score so many past Sheffield United or I'll be under, you know, when we brought in Son, I was underconfident despite seeing, you know, his attacking potential as a Spurs fan going to sort of watching that team play Arsenal, a, a ground that we very rarely sort of do well in, underconfident in that asset doing well. And I think sometimes that that behavioural bias, it, it, particularly when it comes to this game, can be just as much of a bigger mistake because you're, you, 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 it sometimes bars you see, sort of seeing the upside. You just see the downside sometimes. It's, it's interesting because I think that actually ties in with another behavioural bias and, and, and I think that's to do with herding. So if you're having that underconfidence or you're not sure what to do, I mean, humans generally turn around and go, well, what's that person doing over there? That's the way we we tend to solve the problem. And so then that leads to herding and kind of fear of missing out. And I know you, you've obviously got your your rule in place, which is probably to avoid this, which saying if 30% of people or more have that player, then we're not going to have them. But you can see that people like to herd and they like to follow the, the player who's doing well. And I, actually, I'm, I'm going to name and shame someone here. So again, in, in that league I talked about before of 10 of our friends uh, all, all from school. There's a friend, and, and I'm going to name him by name because he deserves this. He's called Macca, and he lives out in in uh, in Virginia, in 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 America, and he's a he te- 
teaches or, or coaches soccer out there, um, as, I, as he has to call it. Um, and he must sit and watch every game with a laptop open and the spreadsheet open because as soon as a scorer scores and it's an available, available player in their league, you'll see the WhatsApp pop up. I'm buying this player in and I'm selling that player. And you know, maybe that works. Maybe momentum is something which is in there. Maybe there is a hot hand effect um, and you can make some uh, good points from that. But I'll tell you that Maka has never won the league. And that for me is enough to say that I don't think Macca's scheme really, really works. So that that fear and that hurting, that trying to jump on the bandwagon is something which I think we could all fall foul of, uh, but I don't think it's going to pay off. No, and, and the funny thing is that there's been a sort of lot of chat about that this season where they said, oh gosh, the most the biggest scorer of the last week has become the, the most transferred in player. And you go, that's the same every season. So actually the only real herding effect here is the number of commentators herding to pick up on that fact, not the actually original herding fact. It is, no, it is, it is a strange, strange state of affairs. Uh, but um, yeah, one that we um, aren't always in a position to fall for, as you say, we at least we protected ourselves there. Um, except with Harland, it's a very I, I, I do have to ask a question. I'm intrigued because it, it relates to this, and that's that's where that rule came from, in the sense of that meant that you knew that you wouldn't have Harland, and so that that's a big risk versus, you know, whether it's a benchmark risk, but a big risk about you scoring points. So look, I'm interested in that one. Well, you, I think it was because Adam and I have talked about this podcast for a while and it was like, well, what can we do to sort of make it different? Because, you know, clearly, you know, our, our strap line of two blokes talking football, pretending to work is 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 probably more realistic. But it's it was, well, what can we do here? Can we try and make this more active? Can we try and avoid, you know, make it a sort of commentary on active versus passive and therefore try and away, stay away from these these these, these big stocks, as it were? And we will be trying to, um, well, we, we did with this call out almost every week. We're looking forward eventually. We're going to speak fight track and manage because what it, what it must be like was maybe maybe investing in, in U.S. mid caps at a time, well, a bit like now, when only seven U.S. companies are going anywhere, the so-called magnificent seven. It, I mean, it must be heartbreaking to see all that sort of stuff going up when there's nothing. Well, I'd love to say it might, must be heartbreaking. We know it's heartbreaking whenever Harlan scores a hat trick. Um, funny thing is a couple of times we've matched him. You know, he scored a hat trick once, and so did Son. But it's it's still not enough that we keep losing, especially when you're fighting 92% of the um, of the of the market who who have that in, and uh, the other 8%, pretty much everyone else isn't playing. I suspect by now they've all given up. So I suspect we're the only active non-Harland owners, uh, which you can uh, draw your own conclusions on. But yes, it was supposed to be this commentary of active versus passive. So that's why also we um we brought in the minus, or trying to take a minus four every week to reflect active fees. As it turns out, what we were doing, we were reflecting actually psychotic hedge fund fees for this very, very unhedge funded good hedge fund performance, or should we say 2003 hedge fund performance. So um, yeah, we, we rather sort of, uh, we definitely shot ourselves in the foot. So we're bandaged up and just, just slightly recalibrated our process. Uh, but that was the thinking anyway. I suppose it also comes back to um, is sort of yeah, you know, sort of a, a couple of things to pick up on some in terms of the, the herding. Um, you know, there's a lot of people so many sort of people now sort of will, will, will judge their team against the fantasy football scout. They'll go and look at what to, what players he's picked, and you know that sort of template. So you, you I don't subscribe to it. I, I, I look, I, I look, I look on the site, and you, you have just every week players who want to make a gut call but need somebody to affirm their decision in sort of some ways. They rate my team. I want to bring in someone. Five people sort of tell him that's not a great call, and then he just reverts to the template. 
um, being whatever it is the scout picks that week. If if, there's the, you know, if you've got nine out of those 11 picks, you sort of give yourself a, a bit of a pat on the back. But you're never going to outperform in that sort of perspective. So I suppose one of the things we were looking for and sort of was trying to break away from that template or the, the benchmark, as we keep calling it, to sort of see, look, you know, there are so many other players out there in this game that players are avoiding because they're just nervous about they're not the, the, the most widely owned assets. Is there a theory? Is there a way that we can sort of target those players and get ahead of the game at the sort of same time? And, you know, so George picks up the kind of, we, we, you know, we've picked up the kind of overvalued tag in sort of some ways. But it is interesting because so many players will have a feeling on a player, but because that they try to get sort of like confirmation bias from a load of other people that they're owning it, they ditch it and just re- resort to the benchmark. And I suppose that's the active passive commentary that we're trying to come in and here, you know, is there value with a bit of gut feel and, and, and looking for those differentials and those differentials typically are the players with an ownership under 30%. Yeah. Well, I have a, I have a lot of sympathy with the contrarian argument. I mean, that's what I do day to day. So good, good on you. I say, um, yeah. So on 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 that front, then in sort of some ways, you know, we 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 pick you in. You know, we've we, we've given sort of brief mention of your 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 Crystal Palace fandom ship in sort of some ways. So we you know we've got you we, we've got you on um, as a as a Palace fan. Have you got any thoughts or players on Palace assets? I mean, we did have as a in to begin with. He was one of our differentials. Uh, and was differential for a reason because unfortunately, like at the end of the he blitzed it at the end of the last season. Um, it, it didn't work out brilliantly for us at the moment. It isn't in the squad, but you know, under Woy, um, who should we be looking at at the moment from a Palace perspective? Do you think? Yeah, we've had some sad news about Eze this week. So he's out for six yeah. weeks because of a hamstring. Um, and we're now down three or four of our most attacking players. So my, my go-to players would be. Eze and, and Elise, and he hasn't mm. been fit this season either. But what that probably means is that Roy is going to set us out even more defensively than we are normally. So we're going to be incredibly solid at the back. So if there was to be value, I think probably looking at the Palace defence may be the, the place to go. Um, Joachim Anderson is the the first place to go to, but you probably already see him appear in the, in the top scoring charts. He scored a couple of goals um, this season, making him the, the second top scorer at Palace, which is the state of affairs at the moment. Um, and, and not uncoincidentally, the um, most bought player of the week so far. He's been right. top of the, um, of the of the of the of the of the buy charts, I noticed. So yeah, there we have that effect again. It's oh, a cheap cheap defender and piles in, but um, yeah, for sure. Yeah. So yeah, and well, there's oh him, and and then you're looking at and, and potentially uh, gay here as well. And yeah, and then. I think if you're if you're thinking about goalkeepers, then maybe it's not such a bad idea to think about. Um, you know, Henson's now injured, so Sam Johnston doesn't have the competition in goal, which some people thought he may have. Um, I, I think you'll get him for a, a good price, and uh, I, I do think that Palace is going to be looking to keep clean sheets first and worry about scoring later, and that's going to be the, definitely the, the the sort of setup until Eze and Annalise are back at the very least. For sure. Not exciting, I'm afraid. <laughs> well, I mean, is that what we go to Crystal Palace for? Excitement? Never. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, once upon a time, we were this yo-yo club going up and down, and and now we've just sunk into kind of mid-table mediocrity every year. 
Eleven places. Well, as all. a Southampton fan, I can only dream of mid-table mediocrity, uh, mid-table, mid-premiership table mediocrity. Maybe uh, mid-table mediocrity may be coming anyway this season. Just the wrong, the wrong, uh, the wrong league. Uh, yeah, so, well, I, I'm a bit worried. I, yes, I'm sorry, I shouldn't be so rude about uh, Crystal Palace, especially, you know, harking back to the uh, the, the righty-brighty years and all the rest of it. And, I, I, you know, there, there were definitely some fun and games to be had. Um, and I, now I'm really worried that you've set Adam up because Pickford was definitely was my pick at the start of the uh, start of the year. I have only, I did, I did say we'd run out of, of um, patience with him after Bournemouth, I must admit. So I'm probably going to argue for one more go because we've probably got a few more fires to fight elsewhere. Uh, but um, yes, now you mentioned Johnson. That was the problem. It was that um, the two really attractive goalkeepers was, was having Turner at Forest for the cheapest possible price, but then Odysseus coming in and then having Johnson at, um, at Crystal Palace, who are traditionally pretty good defensive but then having um, uh, Henderson coming in and it was just one thing you absolutely do not want to be worrying about amongst everything else in fantasy league is with is my blasted player going to going to turn you know be on the team sheet to begin with um, especially with the goalkeeper but um, uh, yes I'm afraid actually the Henderson injury passed me by so I'm sure Adam's going to be um, mentioning that over the coming coming weeks to me no, I mean, yeah, let's I mean, let's look, let's take this as an opportunity to look ahead to game week eight then. Yeah, so, you know, what stands out to me so far at the moment, Jules, is that the, there are no obvious fixtures to attack this week. You know, um, on paper, Spurs going to Luton looks appealing. But if we play that underconfidence narrative, um, despite, despite the way we're playing, I still fully expect us to get a dodgy decision, lose to Luton. The media won't care as much as they care about what's going on with Liverpool at the moment. But I'm I, I instantly expect us to lose that game, even though we should be bullish going into that and maybe overconfident. Um, then I, well, I, to decision. be honest, I, you're going to bring up Son, I'm sure. And I, I would imagine that this is the week that if you're going to be um, taking on Haaland, I know Haaland likes playing against Arsenal, but, um, you know, Arsenal away from Man City and um, Spurs away to, to, uh, to Luton, you would think... Um, it's, it's it's sort of rated third for fixture difficulty out of 20. So unless we do have any Fulham players, which we don't, or Crystal Palace taking on Forest, which we don't, you know, the fact we've got Son, I, I, I you know, I've done this. If you were talking about Son being captain, I'm, you're probably pushing at an open door this week. Well, this is where I hand over. This is where our co-manager duties come in fully, that you take over the emotions sort of side away from me and actually say, yes, Adam, Spurs on paper should beat Luton. I just have many years of, uh, and literally Luton is just down the road from me and my my life won't be worth living if we lose that game. And he's looking um, at you as if you're some sort of behavioural science experiment there. You're there all of it in one go, this huge case study of facial expressions and horror. Well, look, we've got a decision to make on Pickford. Um, you know, one more week at home. I know he's got Bournemouth at home. We've got Wilson, who's flagged. Um, yeah. At the moment, he's got a 50% chance of suiting up because of a hamstring injury. Um, so then we come to a little bit more behavioural finance. With 23.9% TSB at the moment, Watkins would seem to be the ideal man to bring back in. Uh, let's just I just do a little bit more attribution analysis to keep banging that drum. But we sold him in game week, since we sold him in game week six, he's racked up a little total of 32 points. Um mm. So is it time to just eat some humble pie and bring him back? Uh, well, yeah, and I, I mean, I, I, as ever, I'm sure I can justify because this is another is, you know, justifying the, uh, the, these decisions. But I think just looking in terms of fixture, you know, the good fixtures coming up, I, I think I have um, on record of, of looking ahead. But there's a there's a there's a really nice bunch of um 
of fixtures coming up for Spurs, Luton, Fulham, Crystal Palace, Chelsea, I think counts now. Um, for uh, Villa, what have we got? Wolves, West Ham, Luton, Forest, Fulham, all in a row. Um, and then um, so the, and then obviously Newcastle, which was why we went for uh, the players we did. But obviously that's how. So I, I, ju- I just think Villa from here on in, they are just, uh, they're a long-term hold. I mean, even Bournemouth in uh, Bournemouth away and in, in, um in, in week 14 and we go all the way there so uh yes this is i if, if he's on 29.3 I, I don't need any more persuasion um Watkins having in my another of my um, you know four leagues being battered i was way ahead of everyone else and then suddenly uh after my horrible week and um, one of my opponents had both uh uh Watkins and uh, Diaby, and you're just thinking, yeah, okay. And I try to feel happy for him, but I just, I'm not, I'm not a big person. It's just, I can't find it in my heart to be so. I haven't even sent him a happy message yet, although you know, even pretending. So there we go. So yes, I think if we we're going to do one, uh, when we come to Friday, that will probably be the one to shoot for. Uh, yeah, no, I, I agree. Um... So yeah, Andy, how do you feel about watching this behavioural finance in action? I think it's fantastic to watch. I, I, I know how uh, how much you've enjoyed um, FBL over the leagues. I know we've we've chatted about it um, over the years, and uh, yeah, it's great that you, you've got this in action, and I, and we get to see it all up close and personal. It's brilliant. Yeah, you can hear the pain in our voices. There we go. <laughs> oh well, that's really something to think about. Give it a couple of days. We there on Friday. Yeah. Well, yeah, it, yeah, exactly, exactly. Busy watering down. Thanks. Obviously, Andy, thank you so much for taking the time to come on today. You have now been given the official status of becoming an official member of the coaching staff of Back of the Nav. So thank you for that. Well, thank you very much. Uh, It's been great to have Uh, you on board, Andy. Thank you so much for doing this. Jules, a pleasure as always. You're so kind. Um, and finally, every, obviously, everyone else, uh, a big thank you to listening. As we did mention at the start, we are now finally on Spotify and Apple, uh, if that makes life any easier. And tune in for more next week when we will be joined by um, Francois de Brun, who runs the Aviva Investors Global Equity Insurance Fund. But for now, bye bye and um, thanks for listening. <laughs>